This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Oh, hello, Mr. Stelter. Here we are again. We're going to have to stop meeting like this. It's, uh, it's a crazy world, this virtual world. So, Yeah, one of these days we'll have to do it face-to-face again, but uh, for now we'll just keep it on the computer and distance ourselves from each other so we're rolling into yeah. episode 125 with uh the man the myth the legend there uh jason bellows from west side stores yeah really cool to sit down uh jason's been a longtime supporter he's obviously a sheep hunter and uh killer and kills a lot of stuff really cool stuff and uh it's fun to catch up with him on this this chat and uh, you know fun to hear about his hunts and his conservation ethic and everything that he does right so pretty cool guy yeah, and he so seems to be so humble about everything he does. He just, you know, he, he, it's like pulling teeth trying to get him to. Uh, you know, muted myself somehow by accident, but it's, yeah, you know, he he's so humble when it comes to uh, his hunting adventures, and you know, you, you start talking to the guy, and he's just an absolute killer out there, and you know, he's he's running a fishing charter business, and he's just he's keeping busy, he's a man of many hats, many talents. Well, the one thing that. Uh, I like a lot about Jason is you know the f- small family run business it's uh pretty cool when you see a guy like that start up a business and you know he took over from a previous family run business he's got uh, Sarah's wife involved and his girls are involved uh, obviously they're not working there yet but guarantee they will be and uh, yeah just really cool just uh, the kind of people that you love to see doing well in life and uh, you know doing their thing and and then you know so generous to the way they give back as well yeah they're just a stand-up family and uh yeah i'm sure their their daughters are going to be taking over that business one day and allow jason and his wife to go on a few more adventures and leave the store in their trusted hands but uh yeah no it's a great chat and i hope everybody enjoys listening to episode 125 and we you know with the society we've got some other things going on right now we uh just ended with the penticton interior sportsman show or bc interior sportsman show this past weekend yeah and uh for anyone that's listening i'm going to be in victoria on uh, this weekend uh so it's the victoria outdoor show it's their first annual and the victoria outdoor adventure show april 21st to the 23rd it's a west shore parks and recreation and uh, should be a great show so if you're um, kicking around the area come by say hi um, and just come chat wild sheep, talk, talk as sheep, whatever suits your fancy. And, uh, just be good to connect with some members and connect with some people that aren't members and maybe even pick up a few rifle tickets on this six gun super raffle we got going on right now. Yeah. Tickets are, uh, flying off the shelf on that one. Uh, how are they doing? I know the past couple of days they've been hammering out. Yeah, we're pretty solid. I think we're, uh, about in our, our first month, we're over, uh, 24 over just over 20 percent sold out so yeah we're on par for a salad again uh but the big takeaway here is that there's an early bird draw so you got to get in early for that and then so there's six rifles we're going to give one away this uh early on and then the rest the other five we draw at the end of uh the end of the raffle so get in nice and early you get a chance for all six that first one we're going to draw um in early june and then we got five more to give away uh later this fall so Pretty cool setup. Uh, Precision Optics is uh, our main lead on this. Uh, of course, we've teamed up with a bunch of other industry 
uh, sponsors on it, but uh, Precision Optics is the lead on it, and just a, a killer set of rifles that uh, is perfect for the uh, anyone that's a sheep hunter, aspiring sheep hunter, or anyone that just likes guns. Yeah, no, there's uh, you got a good chance. You know, one ticket gets you a chance at six of them. So take your pick yeah. when <laughs> when you win. We got, uh, I don't know, I kind of want to give a shout out to Mr. Peter Gooch right now too, or he's full-time lamb monitoring or as much full-time as he can uh, along the South Thompson where we had done captures these in December there. And, uh, you know, he's out there trying to figure out what's going on with the lambs and we're looking forward to an update any, any time now and see, see what's going on with the lambs and where they're going and why there is no lambs because they didn't find any disease in any of those sheep. Yeah, so those Kamloops lakes, that's one of our projects is Kamloops Lake and the South Thompson. Uh, we did a, a capture there. Radio colors got put on late winter, or sorry, early winter uh, this year, and there we've been monitoring them, and now uh, we want to really see what's going on with the lamb recruitment. So Pete's out there. Um, what's going to happen is when the lambs start dropping, uh we're going to have, try and have volunteers that are going to get eyes on the lambs. Obviously, you can't approach them. We're not going to disturb them, but get eyes on them, see what's going on. Um, if there's any mortalities, uh, we'll jump on that mortality, try and figure out the cause of it. Because like you said, Greg, it's low lamb recruitment, so we're really trying to determine the cause of that. So this is going to be a great project. Uh, interesting enough, I talked to Matt McCabe. He was out there today with uh, Skeetchison. Uh, he's one of our directors, Matt, and uh, he said that lamb recruitment was really strong from last year. So the numbers looked really positive. He was really actually some really good feedback there. So yeah, Gooch is going to be hard at work for the next couple of months. And if you're interested in helping out, you can get to Kamloops. We're looking for volunteers. So Pete's the coordinator on that. You show up in Kamloops and then you can go check it out. We're going to give you a location. Obviously, you got to keep your distance, but our goal is to have you there on the spot or watching the, the used drop lambs, and which would be super cool to experience. Yeah, and the, the volunteer opportunity isn't just uh in Kamloops either I think it goes Ashcroft all the way to to Chase pretty much like it's a it's a good stretch so whether you're coming up the canyon there's it's divided into three big areas and there's three leads and Pete's leading the the east area I guess you could label it I'm not sure of the official name they're calling it but you know it's 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 good it's going to be good to get as many eyes on there as possible and hopefully lock in what the problem is. Yeah, absolutely. So let's listen to Mr. Bellows, West Side Stores, on episode 125 of Talk is Sheep. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Yeti. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Yeti, for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Hello, Mr. Bellows, our, uh, our friendly show neighbor at the last couple of BC Outdoor shows in Chilliwack. How you doing, yeah. my friend? Very good, very good. No candy tonight, but uh, yeah, I'm doing good. Oh, the, the candy man disappoints, eh? <laughs> yeah, I can only do that once in a while. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a good place to binge candies at the show. We're waiting between people walking by the booths, so. It's, yeah. And we appreciate your uh, efforts in being the delivery boy. <laughs> keeps, keeps me in everybody's good books. Yeah, right on. Uh, so let's let's start with the basics here. Who is Jason Bellos? And uh, give us a quick rundown of who you are, where you're from, and what drove you into the outdoor world. Uh, so, yeah, Jason Bellows is my name. Uh, own Westside Stores here in Salmon Arm, BC. 
we uh, were full hunt fish camp store uh, it's about 6,500 feet this shop so it's a pretty good size here here in the interior um, grew up here in Salmon Arm grew up on a small farm my parents still are there on the farm just raising beef cattle stuff like that I've got one younger brother still there uh, I'm the oldest of four boys so had lots of farm help you know for my dad we were pitching hay bales all summer moving irrigation pipes nobody wanted to come visit us uh, during the summer break that's for sure it was all work so but but pretty fortunate I mean it was it was a good way to grow up it was uh, yeah it's kind of just lifestyle hunting fishing just kind of come natural to us there on the farm so right yeah. on so at the, the west side stores there in salmon arm now are you the original owner or did you uh, buy that off somebody that's yeah no yeah we bought it off the crown family um, be 11 years now back 2012 May or, or March 1st 2012 was our takeover date uh, the Crown family had had it for about 22 years in town, and uh, it was just time for them to, to do some other stuff and, and get into other things, and uh, and the opportunity was right for me at the time, so kind of flattened everything I had and got into the shop. I I mean, my, my previous life, I, I did a steel fab apprenticeship, so I come out of a big shop here in town, and uh, I, I went out on the road for almost eight years. I traveled all over the world putting in sawmill equipment. So I did mechanical service and install on sawmill equipment before uh, buying the store and taking over. So I definitely don't come from a business background. It's kind of just learning some hard lessons as we go here some days. So what what made you take that jump? Because that's a that's quite the the difference in career choices going from living on a cattle farm and then doing the sawmill equipment thing, and now you're a business owner selling yeah. goods. Yeah, it was a big jump for sure. We. Uh, I mean, it was a big decision, but the road life was tough. Like it was, you know, we worked seven twelves. I worked 84 hour weeks on the road. Um, and there'd be, I mean, I'd be gone six, eight weeks at a turn, come home, you're home a few days, get a phone call and I jump on a plane again. Right. So it was, it, it was good, but it was tough. I mean, the, it would be tough to, to fully do a family life that way. And, and family is something I wanted. So kind of had to make that decision to give up that, that part of my life and that kind of the money part right to to do something different and uh and be home here where you know sarah and i have two little girls five and seven right now um that are yeah quite the handful they keep us busy so like i say had to come off the road or that life would be pretty tough to have yeah no no doubt family life and that kind of a road life is uh they don't they don't go coincide very well um yeah now when you when you purchase the store that's you know you say 6500 square feet that's quite the the store uh did, did you bring staff along with you from before or did you have a, a whole staff coming coming when you bought it uh, so the store originally was in a little mall here in town and it was uh when i first got it, it was about 3200 maybe 3500 feet um we had a five-year lease in there that we we got from the previous owner he signed that lease to give us that stability in there and uh and we kind of we got through that term and decided you know it was time for for an expansion and make the shop bigger and the opportunity come up to to get into a building here right on the highway so we took that opportunity and it was it was pretty good that was 2016 we built the shop here uh and moved locations i was in here for about two months you know building building this place so uh, logs that you know if you come in here you're going to see log work in here that uh, you know one of the big 
big pine come off the family farm. We went out and cut a big pine down and, and used sections of it in this, in this build. Uh, they wrap these steel columns that are in the shop. There's, uh, there's fir trees all over in here that our range was doing an expansion at the time. I went up myself and cut them all down with a chainsaw and bucked them up and brought them down here. And lots of barn wood off the farm in here. So it was a, it was a pretty cool build and it was very personal. Like everything in here is us. Like we, we touched it all and built it all. So it was kind of nice to, to have an established business that we purchased and be able to move and expand it and grow it. Well, that's nice to be able to put your own personal touch on things in there too, kind of. Not yeah. so much at home, but I'm sure you spend probably just as much time in that place as you do at home, so might as well make it feel like home, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've got a got an office up top here so I can oversee the whole place during the day, and yeah, it's a good view. You already got the, the girls running the counter for you and training them? Oh, oh <laughs> man. Yeah, they, they're, they're getting better. Uh, the first few years in here, they would just tear the place up. They get into, because we do hunt fish camp, the fish world's got lots of color. So they would get into bobbers. They'd be into little corkies. They'd be grabbing lures. I mean, they'd fill shopping carts, and I'd have to follow around and put it all back together, right? So, um, yeah, they're they're getting a little better for that. We kind of kind of rein them in a little bit here now. Yeah, well, you said five and seven. <laughs> That's quite the uh, the age to, to be... F- running rampant in the store <laughs> so yeah it's the same same age gap i have so uh i i know all too well <laughs> you yeah. take them into a store you're you're gonna be uh high blood pressure shortly so yes yeah. yeah and i mean we we pick them up from school every day at two so they come here with us and you know sarah's in here because she does all the web web stuff and does the shipping and everything for us so you know the kids i mean this is their second home too we pick them up from school and they come straight here and they're here for two three four hours every day they gotta wait for us so it's kind of i mean they're in the back room as much as we can but they get out on the floor and they're running around playing hide and seek in the clothing and monkeying around it's as long as they're not causing grief with customers and, and staff then i kind of i have to let them free range a little bit i can't can't just lock them down every day oh and it you know i for me personally i say that adds a a nice touch to the family owned and operated store if the kids are running around and you could you just you know make you feel at home a little bit more yeah yeah Pre- previous owners had a lab i have kids <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go <laughs> equally as messy sometimes no, so. oh yeah now you've been a a long time supporter of you know the, the wild sheep society of bc and you're obviously through your business you're quite the supporter of ours as well uh, how important is it to you and you know the company to to give back to conservation and you know what kind of led you in that path uh i mean it it's it's very important and it's not i don't think it's about me right now it's more about the kids in the future um as as we we get older and we watch our kids grow i think we realize that we need to do our part and we need to we need to contribute and and take care of the wildlife and their their homes right take care of the habitat so that there's there's wildlife here for the kids and for the future i mean future generations not just our kids but our grandkids so so it's very important to me uh, i've i've been on the sport fish advisory committee i've been you know i've been tied into that with the salmon world um i do a lot with the fed as well and then and then of course uh, as much as i can with wild sheep through the business and in our personal uh to help out where we can for sure because i mean wild sheep does so much good work i mean that money 
that money gets to the ground um, and it really helps wildlife and their habitat. So it's very important. Yeah, well, we, we appreciate everything you do for us and wildlife in the, the province. The, your support goes a long way. Now, do you try to kind of instill those values in your daughters as you're raising them, you know, hands-on with the outdoors stuff and or just free-range and let them go? <laughs> no, those, those kids, uh, they've been part of the outdoors straight from day one. I mean, I've got a picture of Ava with a, we're on an elk hunt when she was three months old. She's got an elk call in her mouth. Uh, we, she was, she was 10 months or no, eight months old, I guess. Eight months old. We had her strapped to us. Uh, we were down in Texas going through, swimming through mesquite, uh, prickly mesquite, chasing hogs down there when she was eight months old. So they've, they've always been in this. Um, they've always, you know, they've, they've grown up on wild game. That's the bulk of our diet is, is deer and, and, uh, elk and stuff like that that we hunt. So they've uh, always been part of it. They fish with us. Um, man, Ava at seven last summer was reeling her own salmon in on the ocean with knuckle buster reels. <laughs> and I got video of her getting her hand out, letting them run. Like I've, I've kind of taught her to pretend she's a bull rider and get her right hand up and in the air and let that fish go, right? So, no, it's it's part of their life. It's going to be part of their life. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's important to them. They know where their food comes from. And, uh, and they know how important that is and, and how important it is to take care of those animals. Well, and, you know, you're getting them on there young and they'll be great ambassadors for what we do, I'm sure. And teaching their friends at school, just similar to what my kids are doing, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's kind of a strange time, I guess, right now. I mean, we're in a kind of a small town and, and, uh, my daughter said today, cause we found a bear den on the, on the family property. We, we do a friends and family archery shoot. Uh, Easter weekend so Sarah and I set on Friday we set uh, 27 archery targets and do a 3d course on the family farm like up on the mountain we've got about 70 acres of mountain up there yeah so uh, we found a bear den the other day and, and I talked to my oldest and today she was saying it was kind of it's hard to talk to the other kids about that stuff because they don't understand it right so it, at seven it's hard for them I mean they're going to share that stuff but but if the other kids don't understand it or don't don't agree with it. They don't come up from a home of doing it. It's hard. It's hard for the kids to understand that and and portray the message, I guess, or or get that message through. It you know that it's it's kind of natural and it's it's okay, right, to to hunt and fish and and be connected to the land. Yeah. No. Exactly. It's. I think it's critical to to get the children involved and stuff like that, and you know, share it with their friends. And as they grow older, I'm sure, you know, the we all get the uh the bad comments and the grief but you know i'm sure a lot of us pride ourselves in being able to educate others and what we do so that's yeah. you're talking about fishing and uh you know when we were chatting in chilliwack there i learned something about you and i honestly i feel kind of stupid not knowing but i didn't realize you had a uh, a fishing charter you want to touch base on that uh, what what's your charter called yeah, so we uh, we run a charter business here on Shushwap Lake. Uh, name of the business is Bucktail Adventures. So we chose that name because on the on the lake here in the spring, you know, bucktail fishing is pretty popular. We get some pretty good rainbow out there. We run uh, Type Six wetline fly rods and and bucktails and and kind of cruise the shoals and we get some pretty good rainbow. So, um, yeah, twenty sixteen. I guess the same year we got the shop. 
Yeah, same year we did the shop. Uh, it was a big year. Uh, we, we bought a 27-foot Kingfisher. So Sarah and I decided to start another business and uh, bought a 27-foot Kingfisher, ordered that in, had a custom interior built to kind of suit us for the guide guide business. And, um, yeah, we jumped in with two feet on that one. And it's been seven years. Uh, it's it's busy. It, it gets really busy in the summer, which pulls me out of the shop quite a bit. I mean, there will be, there'll be years where I'll do 50, 60 days out there. And, oh, wow. uh, and turn down 30 or 40 trips where I just can't do them. I mean, it's just too much for me. And, and the bulk of my season is, uh, is tourist season here on the shoe swap. So it's kind of, we will do a bit through June, but we really go crazy July and August into early September. Um, we fish rainbow lake trout and kokanee on the big lake. And then about August 20th or so, I moved the boat over to chase and I finished my season over there catching Chinook inland. So we've got an inland fishery on the South Thompson Chinook, and we can fish them in Little Shushwap Lake. So um, I get clients over there, and we target Chinook, which is fun for me. It's a nice change because we get into, the, get into the bigger fish. They average kind of 12 to 16 pounds. So we can look at 20s, 22s, and uh, and they just a bigger fight. Like It's kind of nice to get into those big fish. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's fun. It, it gets me out of here a bit. And it's a bit of a change from the from the shop life to being out there catching fish with people. And I get kids their first fish. I get wives their first fish. It's it, I'm very family orientated. The boat was designed. It's got a head on board for the ladies. Um, yeah, I, I really cater to families. That's that's really what I want out there. A 27-foot 20, boat, you have room for a bunch of families in there at a time, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a few families for sure. I I'm pretty comfortable with four to six people out there, for sure. Oh, right on. That's a that's a good number of people out on the boat at a time. Uh, what do you typically do? Four hour days, eight hour days? Uh... Lots of fives. So my half days are five. Um, I'll do a full day of eight, but most people want five. I start kind of early in the morning. I'll I'll get off the dock with them by seven, and try and get them back in early afternoon. My five hour days never turn into five hour days. Um, I'm usually six or better because I want people to end with fish. So we, we kind of grind along as long as they're willing to hang with me, which 95% of the time they are. Um, we'll kind of gut it out a little longer and kind of end the day with some fish. So, yeah. So what, what would you consider, you know, a, your your most targeted fish? Like what's the, the popular one you're always chasing? <laughs> Ra- rainbows or the Lakers? Yeah, the, the prize out there is a big rainbow for sure. Um, that lake, that lake, the population fluctuates quite a bit based on, on the food source, which is the, the main food source for them is sockeye. Um, and, and we've been seeing it, you know, of years where the sockeye runs in the Fraser are diminishing. Um, the Adams river run is the, the big run that everybody knows. And, uh, and, you know, growing up as a kid, when I went to trade school at BCIT and stuff, we would, we'd fish two or three summers in a row down on the Fraser for sockeye and now we're down to you know one at best um so the sockeye runs are really diminishing which which is dropping the food source for our fish in this lake which is kind of it's stunting some of those rainbows so what we end up we end up targeting a lot more big lakers and a lot of kokanee because we can catch quite a few kokanee out there with the kids uh they're tons of fun you get on them there's they're a school fish because they're salmon so once you find them you just start doing loops on them you can really pick on those things for kids and and get kids reeling quite a bit right oh awesome well when you're when you're picking up lakers and shoe swap you know uh what's what's a big laker for the shoe swap i'm i'm pretty ignorant to that side of the province i don't go over there very often 
Yeah, a big one for us. Uh, a big one for us would be double digits. So, ten to fifteen is is a good Laker. Um, we're gonna average a lot of sixes. They've so that's the most regulated lake in the province. Uh, we're allowed one fish a day and only five a year out of that. You got to buy a tag to keep a rainbow, a tag to keep a lake trout. Um, rainbow need to be fifty centimeters to keep one, and Lakers need to be sixty. So they they've done this. They put this rule in about thirty years ago to to bring the numbers of fish back and promote genetic diversity. They want to ensure those fish spawn at least once in their life before they're harvested. Um, so so a rainbow at 20, 20 inches, say fifty centimeters, has spawned once in its life by then. And Lakers are real slow growers. They grow on average about a half a pound a year, and they don't sexually mature until they're about eight years old. So they got to ensure that they uh, that they get to that age and, and spawn once before they are harvested. But in doing that, they've put a lot of mouths in the lake, which again kind of stunts growth because there's only food, so much food in there for them, right? Yeah. So they don't uh, they don't get as big as some of the some of the lakes in the uh, Caribou. Um, or even Cal Lake for that matter. I mean, we go to Cal Lake, we could look at Lakers at 30 pounds, right? So, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's still, you know, 10 to 15 pound Lakers got to be a good fight, especially if you're getting kids on them and that's something enjoyable for sure. Yeah. And I, I do them on a one-to-one reel. So I use Islanders out there. So the kids, the kids go to war on them. They don't get geared reels where they can run six to one ratios and catch up on them quick. They gotta, they gotta fight fish. Perfect. You got to make them earn it. Make them earn it. Yeah. And feel the burn in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell them they're doing curls for the girls. They don't have to work out. So you can just hit the beach after. <laughs> well, you're on shoe swap mine as well, right? No, <laughs> uh, there's no shortage of beaches and ladies. No, no. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> now, you've, uh, you've spent a little bit of time in front of the camera too. I know I, you don't really talk about it too much or you don't see it very often everywhere but you were on a tv show for a bit are you still on a tv show what's yeah so i uh i helped out with with a show called trigger effect um yeah i i we sponsored them for quite a while and i pro staffed for them to help them out on on episodes you know if they needed an extra guy or i mean my wife and i filmed quite a few episodes just ourselves for them you know turkey hunts and things like that yeah um yeah, it was a ton of fun. Great experience. What it, it really got me, it got me hunting different species, um, and got me out of you know out of BC quite a bit too, right? Into the prairies hunting waterfowl out to Manitoba for whitetail. I went to Ontario to hunt uh, eastern turkeys. Um, I took I've taken turkeys in Montana, Idaho, yeah, BC, all over the place. Um, I really fell in love with turkeys actually from filming that show. I would, uh, I'd hunt those guys every day if I could. Yeah. So yeah, it was a great experience. Um, yeah, I did it for probably four or five years, I guess, or maybe more with those guys. They, they run for 10 years. Um, not easy. You know, you're, you're looking for sponsorship constantly. They're, they're fighting to get on TV, buying TV time, prime times. It's, it's a tough, uh, tough gig. And it really opened my eyes to how much work they do. Um, you know, and, and the first little while, very nervous on camera, you know, kind of blowing lines and trying to get closings done and just, just kind of felt weird. But by the end, it was just, it become old hat. Like it, it got pretty, pretty comfortable and yeah, it was, it was fun. It was lots of fun. Yeah. Well, it's gotta be a, 
an interesting challenge too is having to focus on what the cameras see when you're when you're trying to hunt so you're you're thinking about all that extra stuff going on around you and you know sitting Getting... trying to make turkey hunting interesting on on cameras got to be a challenge you know, it's super fun while you're doing it but i it's got to be hard to sell it on a camera i'd imagine yeah it's uh i think the hard part is is you know some of those species like your elk and your whitetail and turkey I mean, they're they're early morning, late at night critters, right? Turkey note, not so much, but the elk and whitetail stuff. And and when you're on those hunts and you get a tap on the shoulder, like, "Hey, camera, we're done," and you go, "What do you mean we're done? Like we got we got 15 or 20 minutes of shootable light." The cameraman's going, "Nope, we're done. We can't see anything anymore, right? Because the camera's just you're losing light so fast with them. Um, you can't zoom in on anything. It just uh, they shut you down. So it's." It's hard, or you you know you got an opportunity at an animal, and cameraman's going, nope, there's something in my way. Hold, 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 and that animal, you know, would zig when it should have zagged, and it'll walk out of frame, and you're just so it's it's a lot harder than hunting for yourself for sure. When you're you know when you're hunting, you get an opportunity, you squeeze a trigger, or, or or get it done right. But when you got the camera there, the camera runs the show, and uh, and man, you only get one chance at that shot, and if it if it gets messed up in any way. A very big hunt very expensive hunt you know a lot of time and everything invested is is kind of blowing right so yeah it, it, it's it's some pressure that's for sure yeah what would you say is uh the, the coolest hunt or the hunt you appreciated the most that you got to do because of that show oh man yeah that's a toughie i i mean i like I say, I, I really fell in love with hunting turkeys doing it. Um, Sarah and I still do it to this day. Like we're we're trying, we're looking at the schedule right now, and today's the twelfth of April. Turkeys are opening in three days. We're trying to figure out how to get down to the Kootenays to chase these things, right? Um, so so a lot of the turkey episodes were a ton of fun. I mean, Sarah and I, we were set up on decoys down there, and we had a pretty cool experience where we're we're in a ground blind, set up first thing in the morning, doing some calling, and had a had a she-cat cougar come out to us and come into our decoys at 18 yards. So she come into the decoys and sniffed the decoys and stuff and went to every decoy, and we got it all on film. I mean, it was pretty cool. And then she realized those weren't real turkeys, and she just kind of slinked through the field, and down the hill she went. Um, yeah, the waterfowl, I, you know, in, in my my days growing up, I mean, we're not really in a flyway here in Salmon Arm. So we didn't really hunt waterfowl, but but that show gave me a, an opportunity several times to go out and hunt waterfowl out in the prairies and, and got a real a real cool you know a bunch of experiences uh, out there shooting shooting snow geese in Saskatchewan. I mean there is something when you see 50, 60,000 birds on fields. It is unbelievable. So yeah, yeah, lots of lots of cool experiences. Um, yeah, lot, yeah, those, yeah, just those... lots of fun, man. Those super flyways uh, back east there, I'm always envious. I know a few guys that head back for the snow geese, and it's just that's on the list for sure to see that. Oh, man. that amount of waterfowl in the air, and you just yeah. take your shot. Yeah, your- we uh, we had a fog morning one morning, and those they can use electronic calls out there. So the guide uh, they set speakers out and stuff, and they're a ton of work because we set four to six hundred decoys in the morning. Like it is. You're out there in the dark with headlamps on, setting decoys, and uh, and those geese, you could hear them come over us, and they would turn the calls up, and you could hear them hook and come in, and and we're we're wearing white Tyvek suits to blend in with all the snow geese decoys, and they had these cool layback chairs, and uh, 
those geese would drop out of the clouds on us and you felt sorry for them for just that nanosecond because they, they had no idea what they had just dropped into. And, and man, I just shake like a dog. It's just like the, when your dog's excited, I just shake. It's so fun. And you pull up on them and you touch the trigger the first time and that feeling sorry goes away. And it's like, I got two more rounds. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's a ton of fun. I mean, I think, uh, I think we, uh, you're allowed 20 a piece out there for snows and specs and, and Canada's as well. I think, uh, I think we, we, I think we stopped about 108 heartbeats that morning. It was, uh, it was something else. Oh, wow. That would, uh, that'd be busy. <laughs> that'd be a busy, busy morning. Yeah. So is the, uh, the, the turkey slam in your future then is if you're getting addicted to those as well, are you going to chase all four? It, uh, it definitely is in, uh, it's in the works for sure. Um, I've got a, I've got a really good Eastern from out in Ontario. My very first Miriam I took in, uh, Washington state with a, with a really super good guy, Tracy Zoller. Um, he's a big steelhead guy and a big turkey guy down there. And, uh, and I took a triple beard Miriam down there. So, uh, it was a heck of a bird. It was a tough start. I, I had no idea what I'd shot. I mean, I was green to turkeys. This big Tom come out and I thumped him at 42 yards and we get looking at him and, and Dean that, that from the TV show and, and Tracy were just flipping out about how big it was. And I'm like, I don't know. It's a turkey. It's a nice turkey. Dean looked at me and he's like, yeah, I'd be like starting out with a 170 whitetail. I was just like, oh, damn it. So I kind of set the bar right there. And, uh, and I mean, of course, I've, yeah, I've never shot a double, let alone a triple beard since. Um, That's yeah, not that yeah, the, often. No, no. The uh, yeah, the other two I need then are the Osceola, which is a bit of a toughie because he's down in Florida, so you got to get down in there and get those those guys. And then uh, Gould, which is kind of northern Mexico country, um, to get a Gould. They're the biggest of the bunch. Real, real pretty white back to them and fans on them and stuff. That gives us four, and then the fifth one. Uh, is the Yucatan Peninsula. I don't know if you know about an oscillated turkey or not, but uh, yep. yeah, they're gorgeous. They look like peacocks. Um, that's what I might have to do on my own because Sarah's not really keen on on hitting that jungle with all the critters that are in there that kind of want to bite you and kill you. So <laughs> Yeah, the type, type 2 fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but more more worry about a mosquito killing you down there than a, than a spider, but yeah. Anyways, yeah, I, I would definitely love to uh, love to get them all for sure. Yeah, that'd be a that'd be a cool experience, and to be able to share it would be uh, neat. And I'm sure we'd uh, you'd get that thing mounted and bring it to one of the shows here with you. <laughs> <laughs> definitely the oscillated. Yeah. Now this uh, this past outdoor show in Chilliwack here, our a friend of ours, Jenna McRae Taxidermy, she had a booth set up, and there was a there's a decent main attraction at that booth, and it was a, a little Rosie that was sitting on a, a pedestal. You wanna you wanna chat about that uh, that little creature you took there? That that little fella there. I'm looking out my window at him here. I've got him up in the store now. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that was uh, 21. Had a heck of a season. 21. Got my first stone sheep that year in August, and uh, pulled a Roosevelt elk tag as well as a moose tag, but the moose tag. Um, that was back in the old guide territory that I used to guide in. Uh, but once I pulled the rosy tag, that, that moose was going to be a burner. I, I didn't even care about that thing. It was rosy all the way. Um, 
Yeah, the Rosie was a cool hunt. It was uh, it was up the coast, mainland coast region two. Uh, we took the took the kingfisher out my ocean boat and dropped it in in Lund, BC, and had to run ninety miles way up way up into an inlet. Uh, took a good friend of mine up there. We took mountain bikes with us and my little nine foot striker boat and, and little motor. Um, yeah, we put on we put on a ton of miles. We did a hundred k in five days on our boots and, and mountain bikes looking for a for a good bull went in on the 6th season didn't open till october 10th so we scouted around on the 8th on the 9th we had a we had a real good five point come out on the road in front of us and uh and i whistled at him and stopped him a few times so it kind of kind of showed they were still interested kind of a little late on the rut but they were still interested it was it was kind of funny when i stopped him i looked at my buddy and i said don't ask me to shoot that bull i said i'm not here for something that looks like a rocky I'm here for a Rosie. And he couldn't believe it. He said, you wouldn't shoot that? I'm like, nope, that's a five by five. I said, I want crowns. So opening day come came and went. We went out on the 10th and uh, and got out and got into a, the end of a block. And I mean, there were maple buds on the road that looked like they'd just been clipped off by elk. You could smell those elk there. We were just minutes behind them. Um, set up that night, did a little calling and just nothing, just didn't quite work out. And that, I mean, we all know that, that fern and that bush down on the coast like that. It's just a jungle. I mean, they step off the road and they're gone. So second day of season on the 11th, we got up in the morning and, uh, had a, had some motor problems with the little kicker, get it, get it going. And we had to ride across the ocean in this little boat and all of our gear about a kilometer across this inlet to get to the road on the other side of the, of the spit. <clears throat> so finally got the motor going and my partner was a little bit, I wouldn't say perturbed, but a little bit disappointed, I guess, because elk are, you know, typically an early, early morning creature. And I just didn't matter. I was like, man, we got nowhere to go. Like, they're not going anywhere. They're here. We just got to find one. So we got across there and got up the way. And, and uh, about 1030, I, we were walking up the road and just kept popping out to the river and call a little bit, just cow squeak and then back out and up the road and back to the river and cow squeak. And, and uh, we sat on a log just kind of overlooking some some riverbank and have granola bar and some pepperoni and just relax for a bit and man i couldn't believe my eyes look across the river and here's this bull walking up the up the shoreline on the other side and uh i mean i could see with my naked eye at 300 yards he was the one there was there was no questions so i bailed off the bank and run down that way and, and dave kind of stayed up in the hill and kept eyes on him for me and and by the time i got down there um, I had lost him. I couldn't see him. He wasn't on the other side anymore, and uh, I couldn't figure out where he'd gone. I thought maybe he went in the, back in the bush. And I turned and looked ahead of me, and he'd already swam the river. He'd crossed that river, and he was coming to us. Um, so he was on the bank in front of me, and I was getting set up. I had a little set of trigger sticks there. I was getting set up to get a shot at him. And he was just turned to his left, and he I, he must have noticed me uh, setting up because he kind of swung his shoulder at me, looked over his shoulder, left shoulder at me. And just right away, he swung back and looked back over his right shoulder. And you could just see what was going through his mind. Like he knew he made a mistake and he wanted to go back home. And uh, so he, he kind of turned to go back that way. And I, I hit him and kind of sunk him. And uh, I mean, you know, we, we've hunted elk, but man, are they tough. So that I'm shooting a 28 nozzle with 175s leaving there. I handload that gun and they're leaving there at 3092. And uh, I hit him double lung sunk him a bit he stood back up in with another round i hit him again and he didn't even think he jumped straight in the river 
And oh, I literally, I mean, I was dry heaving because that's all glacial till. You can't see in that water. And he was gone, completely gone. And he popped back up and all that was sticking out was some face and a little bit of antler because he was hurting. I mean, he had two in his lungs and he could not get his back up to swim proper. And I, I moved down the river, keeping an eye on him and he struggled getting across. He finally got some footing on the other side and, and pulled himself up, but he wouldn't get out of the water. He was still kind of halfway up his body in the river. And I was yelling at Dave to come down. Dave come running down there and said, man, I'm sorry, but you got to get up there and get him out of the river for me. So he, he run ahead and he's poor guys running through that beach sand. I mean, it was killing him. Yeah. And, uh, he got up there and he's yelling at that bull and throwing sticks and rocks. That bull finally looked at him and finally started walking. He, he got up on the, got up on the, uh, on the bank there. I let him get about 10 feet out of the bank and I hit him again and, and down he went. And again, just how tough those animals are. He rolled around. He got up again. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So, so I just like I needed them there where we're hunting was the highest density of grizzly bear population in the entire west coast of BC in that inlet. So I really needed them on the rocks. I needed them on that riverbank. We had to process them. We we're about seven kilometers from the ocean. I mean, we had we had some big days ahead of us to pack them out of there and get them get them back. So I didn't want them in the bush uh, if I was going to have to deal with them there, right, for for a day or two. So he got back up and. Uh, took a few more steps and I hit him again kind of high neck and just missed spine like kind of kind of no man's land in there right so that bull just stood and shook his head so I'm in my pocket I mean I'm only had a few rounds with me I'm kind of I've got a pocket full of brass now and I'm looking for a sharp tip in my pocket and finally found one drop it in lock it up and hit him high back and down he went and uh man we we have video of that bull laying there and he he was still thrashing around on the rocks trying to get back up like just tough as nails but uh but yeah it, it just right place right time i mean i think that's hunting you you know your destiny has to collide with that animal um and uh we just got really lucky on that one it's a, it was a hunt of a lifetime i mean a rosie a rosie is yeah a pretty amazing tag to draw and uh and i couldn't be happier with that bull he's big crowned out he's all broke up from fighting uh, he's probably missing 30 inches or better of, of antler, and uh, but yeah, what a what an animal. Oh, yeah, there was there was quite the crowd around him in Chilliwack, and everyone gawking and trying to find out the story. But we're too far away from your booth, so you couldn't tell the story. It was just yeah sitting there, yeah. a big mystery for a lot of folks. Yeah. Now, now, were you were you calling at all, or was it just happened to walk out on the river and just? Your luck at that time. No, I was I was just cow calling a little bit when I when I saw that five point bull on the road on the ninth um, or on the eighth. Uh, you know, I I just kind of whistled at him a few times, like cow call whistled at him, and locked him up. I mean, that bull locked up and turned broadside a few times. So it kind of kind of told me they were they were probably a little behind the rut, but still still looking for a cow, right? I mean, if they if they hear a cow, they're still going to check it out. So. Yeah, we, we were just going up the road, and I would pop out to the riverbank, and I'd give some cow calls, and we'd go back up on the road, and we'd just walk a little further and pop out to the river and cow call, and and uh, I'm sure that bull heard that. And once we once we went down and got back to the other side, we had to go all the way back down and cross with the little boat and back up the other side to get to him. And once we got over there, I mean, that whole area that he had come from was just shredded. I mean, every tree in there was destroyed. I mean, that, that guy had spent some time in there and uh, that clearly was his home so so i think he heard that cow call and he just kind of popped out to the riverbank to see what was going on and 
and it was enough that he actually swam that river over to us. Oh wow, that's awesome. Now did you know you're in the west coast there and heavy heavy grizzly country where you were did, were you guys seeing any grizzlies while you were there or you just knew they were there so your hair was on rising on the back of your neck just waiting no yeah no we saw five yeah <laughs> yeah we uh yeah and and my partner there he he's he's okay with them but he's never really dealt with them much i mean i i've guided them i mean i got to hunt them a bit before they were closed down and uh and i actually took my last one in 2017 that year it was closed or that it closed. Um, I mean, you just have to respect them, of course, right? And uh, we saw we saw a sow with twin cubs the one day across the river from us, and we watched her. And, and I just I just kind of watch them because every animal will teach you a lesson if you're willing to watch them and learn the lesson. And uh, and she milled around. They were kind of feeding on salmon carcasses along the riverbank and and just doing their thing. And she moved up onto a log and. And you could see at one point her nose come up and she started scenting upriver and and something got her attention. And I can only guess it would probably be a bigger boar because her cubs were that year's cubs and uh, her whole demeanor changed. She she was head up and she was paying attention upriver and she just kind of woofed at those cubs and they were on her tail right now and she was into the bush with them and gone. So something upriver, you know, caught her attention and she didn't like it and she got out of there, right? So... Yeah. yeah, there were definitely no shortage of grizzly in there. Any dealings with them while you were taking care of your elk afterwards, or no? Uh, thank, thank goodness, no. So that area we were in, there was only three tags given out. So all three of us were in there. We got to know each other. You know, we're, we're all in the same kind of small valley. Um, one of the guys that was in there was from Campbell River, commercial fisherman from Campbell River. He come in. He brought a little skiff with him with a with an outboard jet. And our harebrained idea was I had a little prop motor and this little nine-foot striker airboat. It's kind of like a little Zodiac. It's a striker. Um, and our harebrained idea was we had a second prop, and we were going to run that thing up the river as far as we could <laughs> and grind props off or use our waders and drag it up, portage it, whatever we needed to do to get up there and then get back down with, with chunks of elk. he come down just as we were kind of getting geared up to go and, and – he looked at where we were in the river and he just laughed. He says, you guys, you'll never make it. He says, I'll help you today. We, we'll get that out of there for you. And he had actually brought a little quad in. So he took the rest of his day um, to come up there. He run me up there. I started breaking the elk down, did some video and, and stuff like that. Got some photos with it and started cutting trail in. And uh, he, he grabbed Dave and come up. And by the time we were done kind of breaking down quarters... He had worked his quad down in there to us and was able to kind of run pieces out to the road and then able to run pieces back down to the ocean there so he could tie it up for the night. And Yeah, he, he saved us a ton. We would have been days. The next day, he was up the river. He went up the river past that, and he sent me pictures. I still have the pictures of a big boar grizzly sitting on that carcass, <laughs> um, completely buried. It was just a rock pile, a great big boar sitting on that thing looking out at the boat as he drove by so yeah i mean if if we would have taken two days we definitely would have uh we'd have met that boar for sure so i'm very thankful i was very thankful to steve and uh yeah we he took care of us and i sent him a nice christmas gift that year for that for sure well that's quite the incredible help to uh randomly run into in the the bush <laughs> you know there's a lot of nice guys out there but that's take 
take a day out of their own hunt to yeah. to help out a fellow hunter. That's that's quite the story. Good good on him. Yeah, yeah. So, class act. Yeah, salt of the earth guy. Right on. Now, uh, you know the reason most people tune into this podcast, and you know we're we're sheep guys, and you have uh, you know you got a, a decent stones under your belt that you brought out to Kamloops this year, and we hung up on the wall to display and. You know, I think it was yeah. right at the front door, so everybody got to see it as they walked in. Um, what's the story behind that one? That's was that your first stone? First stone, yeah. First first hunt for sheep. I hate oh, to say that because that'll make me really popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even a, even a blind pig finds an acorn now and then. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was. Uh, you know, I I don't. I don't hunt one specific animal. I kind of, uh, you know, I grew up guiding moose, black bear, grizz, um, hunted moose a ton. I've hunted elk. I've, I've taken Rockies. Now the Rosie, you know, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I, I've got a goat, you know, just kind of everything. I really, I really enjoy hunting and I hunt to hunt. Um, and I love the experience of it. So this, this was kind of come up a good friend of mine, Damon McCullough. We're talking about it and, uh, and he's like, Oh, well, heck I'll, Let's sheep hunt. I'll get you a sheep, he says. So that, that kind of started it. Um, I started in the local gym, so I'm kind of lucky the, the shop where I'm at right now, there's a boxing gym right next door to me. Um, I got in there and got boxing. I, I boxed before, but I got real serious about it there. And I dropped, uh, from January through to sheep time, I dropped 37 pounds getting ready for that hunt. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was good. It was a lot of work, but I needed it. I needed to a get back into shape and and get ready for that and and peel a bunch of that weight to to be ready for that mountain hunt. <clears throat> so, we uh, we went kind of blind. We went to an area that the boys had never hunted before. Um, they had they had taken several rams in a different area, and I thought that was our intent. That was originally our plan. We were going to that area that they had hunted before. You know, we go back and try and find some sheep and hopefully get one or two. Um, we were about a month out and they changed the plan. They're like, we're going to go, we're going somewhere else. We're going jet boating. And I was just like, ooh, okay. Um, but I was up for the adventure. Don't matter. Let's go. Let's go for an adventure. So we did. We, we run north, dropped the boats, and uh, and went for a pretty epic journey there. I mean, we were, we were over nine hours in the boats heading in, um, packing packing close to 900 liters of fuel with us you know it's the old stop and put fuel in and leave fuel on the beach and and keep going um got in and and again just kind of blind uh there was five of us originally went in and we went okay you guys go on that side of the river we're gonna do this side of the river and and away we went we just picked a drainage you know looked at fat maps and went well we think we can get in this drainage and up and and we just kind of went and uh and we were two and a half days in to get up the drainage um set camp and there was some there was some ewes and lambs on the hill up above us actually where we set camp so we got to watch them in the rocks and you know i'd never again i never sheep hunted i'd seen them on the highway going north when we we're doing our hunts out of uh out of uh atlin and stuff right i well i guess i'd seen stone sheep out of our hunt in atlin i got a caribou that one year and we saw some stones but um so it was my first time really watching them, and I'm, I'm, I was just in awe watching them on that shale slide and watched them bed in and then get up and start feeding. And I, I, I just sat there and watched them, like, what are you eating? Are you eating rocks or, like, what are you living on up there? There's nothing to drink. 
I mean, they're just uh, a pretty, a pretty incredible animal that that habitat they're living in, and just eking out a living, eating whatever shrubbery they can find up there, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we we that was our two and a half days up. We kind of explored the end of that drainage, and got up around the corner, and and we were seeing trails and lots of sign. I mean, the sheep had to be there somewhere, and we'd come up over the hill and and turn into you know the end of the drainage to look back on the back side of it and come over the hill and man there they were they were all bedded in there was 10 rams there and 16 ewes and lambs and i near tackled them into the ground um i mean they're 700 yards out but they got eight power bino eyeballs i believe right so i mean we might as well have been just about on top of them at that point so anyway we we dug in and we watched them for a couple hours and uh and that was the 30th of july I mean, my ram was a no-doubter. I mean, we saw that thing, and it was, uh, there's no questions. I mean, he's over his nose. He was, uh, he's about 38, yeah, he's just over 38 inches on one side and 36 and a half inches on the other, and uh, and well up over his nose. So, I mean, he was he was go for sure. And then there was a couple more in there that, that one one was making full curl, and the other one was, looked like he was a dinosaur. I mean, he was old as heck, all deformed, real, real weird-looking ram out of the, out of the bunch so we just watched a couple hours backed out of there and uh and went back to camp and just kind of settled in that night on the 30th the 31st was killing my partner because he wanted to go back and watch him again and i'm going no nah, we know where they're at they're bedded there they're not going to go anywhere let's just leave them they've seen us once let's not show them again until it's go time and uh so we did we hung out there and I knew I knew the shot. We had ranged it. I knew I was going to have to shoot, you know, 630 to 650 was going to be my shot on these guys. So, again, I had that 28 nozzler with me. And uh, and the day before we snuggled in, I picked a rock across the valley at, at 640. And uh, one round, touched the trigger, thumped that rock. We're like, okay, we're good. We're not, we're not playing around anymore. So we just kind of adventured around in the valley there that day, went out another side of the drainage and looked and and uh and we'd we'd actually seen three ewes and two lambs come through and go out that one drainage so we poked our nose over there no idea where they went i mean it dropped off down into a hole into the trees and again not not hunting stones before i mean i believe that the more you know about an animal the more successful you're going to be um once you know their habits their habitat and what they need what they want their world really shrinks and you become a more successful hunter. So I kind of took that time to really l- try and learn as much as I could about them and, and really pick Damon's brain too, because he had hunted them quite a bit. So it was uh, learn as much as I could from him and from them. So, you know, opening morning come around and, and uh, woke up to an alarm that was pretty funny. I mean, I don't know if you guys probably know Damon. He's a, he's a character. I love him to death. And and uh, I wake up to an alarm at three o'clock going off and it says, you know, I can set your alarm to say different things. I wake up to wake up and kill a fucking sheep, wake up and kill a fucking sheep. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so funny. So we get up and, you know, have our coffee and get ready and we're ready to leave and kind of wait for sun up there. We roll out of camp about 415 and uh, get over up on top of the hill just before six and uh get out on the side hill so we're kind of just crawl out on the side hill he's set up behind me spotter you know typical he's spotter he's got my range finders ranging for me gives me dial up 
And uh, I set gun. I set a couple rounds on the lawn beside me. And uh, I forgot my jacket for a rear rest on the back of the gun. So I'm kind of in panic mode. He's like, do you want me to crawl back? I said, no, man, we're out here. Like, we're so exposed. Like, we can't move. I'm laying there thinking, thinking, thinking. I'm like, dude, I'm like, undo my boot. He's like, what? I'm like, take off my boot. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. So he peeled off my right boot. He hands me my boot and and uh, and I set my low up in the back and it was just perfect. I mean, those those boots worked out. That boot worked out awesome as a rear rest on that gun. It was funny because he took that boot off and Damon said to me after, he's like, man, all I could think of is you better hurry or those mosquitoes were going to kill you. Because they were just like, my white sock was turning black with mosquitoes. So, um, anyways, those rams are there. It was go time. Got a, got a shot. Uh, 6.15. Settle in on them. And, uh, and Damon in the spotter, he shoots a ton of long range. I shoot a lot, a lot of stuff too. And uh, first round, send it and just over his back. So, so Damon, I was good. Left or right was good. It was just over his back. So he's like, you're six inches high. So I'm all right. So at this point I can't touch that scope anymore. It's just hold now. And those rams all kind of were together and bottom left ram Damon saying bottom left. And they're all 10 of them there. I'm like, are you sure? Yeah. Bottom left. All right. So I settle in again. I hold under him, touch the trigger right in front of his chest. So we had some wind in there that we couldn't see with all the shale. I mean, there was no grass, just all shale. And uh, so we had a little wind blowing me up and up, up and right. So I needed low left. So that round was right in front of his chest. It turned that ram and, and moved him away from the band. And he turned. He was coming back on the sheep trail. I kicked that, that empty. I dropped in a live round, locked it up. I got back on him. And in my head, I was thinking, low left, low left. He's walking right. Hold low. He'll walk into it. I held just under him, held leg, touched the trigger, and he walked right into it. He jumped, and he just kicked like a mule deer does, trotted ahead a little bit, and he stopped. And I kicked that cartridge in with another round, locked it up, and I got back on him, and I watched. And you could just see him turn. He turned, turned, turned. He faced back up the hill, and he turned, showed me his left side. And I could just see blood pumping out of him. I mean, it was heart. It was everything. He was done. So, yeah, he went down on the trail <clears throat> right there. And, uh, and then we're pretty excited. I mean, you know, the whole sheep dance we're doing we're high-fiving and hugging and pretty happy and got this done and we're starting to clean up our stuff and i mean i anchored him on the trail couldn't be any better and at this point we didn't know what was in front of us we didn't know if it was a canyon in there or what because we were never able to crawl out and see what was down in that hole and uh and as we're cleaning up our stuff i hear that noise and i turn and i again i'm like dry heaving as this ram starts to roll down the hill all i could think of was don't break the lamb tips please and he, you could just hear horn and rock. And I, oh, God, it was so bad. But turned out where he slid down into was a bit of a draw down in there. And it was better for us because it, it put us down in a, in that draw where we could work on him. There was a big rock down in there. We pulled him and set him up on a rock. and got some really good photos and stuff. And, uh, and yeah, so it, it, it worked out for the best. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. Very, very stressful, you know, getting that shot and missing. And then having to get back on him and kind of just regroup and get it done, right? So, yeah, he was on our back at 9.15. We were back to camp kind of 11.30, unloaded, got everything loaded up on our backpacks. Camp broke down and started out of there at 12.30. We didn't stop until 8 that night. So, yeah, it was good. Got got back to the river like 2.30 the next day or something. So, yeah, we, we earned that one. It was a ton of fun. Uh, right on. So the uh, the 28 Nosler did its job. What, yeah, what were you my, saying? You're just over 600 with that one? 
Yeah, he was uh, six six thirty seven or something. Oh man, yeah. that's uh, there you go. Reach reached out and touched the yeah. sheep with that one. Yeah, reach out and touch them. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of lucky on the farm. I've got steel hung at five twenty five, so we shoot we shoot you know three twenty four twenty and five twenty five pretty regular. So I mean it's uh, it wasn't out of the question for me. I run a I run the Sig Kilo rangefinder, um, and I trust it. It does its job. It's just up to me to do my job at that point. I I gotta settle in and and make a shot right. So yeah, and my birthday is August fifth too. So. <clears throat> excuse me so we were out of there uh we we're out of there on the third took the fourth off hiked back in the fifth fourth fifth we hiked back in on my birthday and uh man we anchored damon ram on the sixth so it was a pretty pretty epic trip oh right on double double down eh was that his first ram as well no no i think that's his third oh, yeah. okay that's his third did he yeah, get the uh real old was it the gnarly old boy you were talking about that was with yours? Or? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he looks like something straight out of the Goonies. Um, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he's missing a bunch of teeth and uh, really crazy horn growth. He actually was he was over 12 years old. He was 12 years old. Um, great ram to take out of the population and probably been passed up a dozen times. I showed I showed pictures of that to Clay Lancaster and. Uh, Clay figured sinusitis, that maybe that ram had gotten sinusitis and it, it messed up his horn development somewhere in its life. Like he was good growth until the fourth ring and then he's all messed up. He's he's really weird. Is that, I think I know the ram you're talking about in the, it it looks normal and then just as you get to the bases, it, it thickens up quite a bit. Like there's a step almost in the horns. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, big step. They get really big and thick. And they, they go up, and then, like I say, that fourth, he's good. Lamb tips up to four years. But he's, yeah, he's really weird. Even his skull, like, we got pictures of both our skulls together. And, I mean, his skull is all because of that that disease that he got or virus. I'm not sure. what well, I didn't get too too deep into it with Clay. You guys probably know more about it for sure than me. But uh, it seemed to deform his skull even a little bit. You know, like his his whole head is a little different. It was it was pretty cool. It was it was pretty cool all around. Awesome. So what's uh, what's next there on the on your calendar for hunts? Anything special lined up this year? Um, we got a little crazy last year. We tried sheep again. Saw a bunch of rams. Had a ram at seven yards. Um, yeah, I had a five year old ram at seven yards. We had two sixes and a and a seven year old right there at like twenty. And the two rams we needed had dropped down in the draw, and we watched them move across the hill and out the drainage. And then we kind of got weathered in. Um, couldn't back, couldn't get back in there uh, last year, back in the drainage that we needed to get into again. And we we survived that thunderstorm that so many guys went through uh, night before opener last year in the north. It was, uh, yeah, I we were pretty. I felt like we were gonna die. I could smell, I could smell ozone. Like we had three lightning strikes that hit trees, and it was flash and thunder at the same time and uh damon asked me he's like does does carbon conduct electricity i just laughed i'm like one of the best oh you shouldn't have told me that i'm like you asked man you asked (laughs) um so yeah we did that and we i took my wife on a fly-in caribou hunt last year so we did uh we did a two-week fly-in on that and kind of got just gutted by weather lots of wind lots of rain so her first big mountain fly-in hunt was a bit of a rough one saw caribou but not the right caribou saw the right caribou on the wrong mountain like we did 80k in there stood on three mountains 
and I uh, just couldn't get her a caribou. So we did a lot last year. So this year's going to be a little bit leaner for me. Um, we're booking caribou for next year. Uh, hopefully it remains open next year. We're going to we're gonna hopefully do it again. She really wants a caribou. So this year she, she kind of is trying to talk me into trying bighorn maybe. So we might... Uh, we might look at that kind of in August. We might try and get away, but again, that's going to have to shut down my salmon guide season to, to get away and chase bighorns if we, if we choose to do that. But that's kind of, that might be, that might be our trip this year is try that. And then we'll do our whitetail. We usually do a whitetail hunt in November and things like that. So. All right on. That's uh, you know, if you get after bighorn, that's, that's always a fun one. Nice mild climate too. You just <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I've never hunted them I mean they're they're little you know a little different with the way we have to judge them and look at them I think that's the I mean all everybody who sheep hunts knows that like that's kind of the stress part of that is making sure like you you need to be a hundred and twenty percent sure you've got a legal ram in front of you um, you know and all of us all of us who who do hunt to hunt and, and enjoy the outdoors. Um, we got to be prepared to walk away and not not squeeze the trigger and ground check stuff. Um, it's okay to go home without anything. And I think I think we see a lot of that in social media right now. I mean, you're seeing a lot of I don't know if it's narcissism or what or what we want to say, but there's just a ton of it where you know the pressure of these hunts. You spend so much time and money and energy preparing and everything to go on these big hunts. You know, like a couple of years ago, we had so many troubles with, with young rams and undersized rams being harvested. Um, we just got to be willing to walk away. And I think that's something that, that everybody should be willing to do. If we can afford to do this trip, we can afford to walk away and do it again. So uh, so I think that's just something uh, something everybody needs to kind of consider and think about when we do these, do these hunts where you got to properly identify, you know, horn development or, or antler tine counts or anything like that. Like... Uh, Hunt to hunt, hunt with family and friends, enjoy your time, and just be prepared to walk away, and, and it's okay to walk away, right? Just go do it again next year and let that animal grow. Well, there's a, a wise man on this call who's remained silent, Mr. Stelter. I've heard him say a few times the uh, a sheep hunter's, I'm going to butcher this, but a sheep hunter's not made by the, the sheep he harvests, but the ones he lets walk away. Now, I don't know if he stole that from somewhere or it's... <laughs> Def, definitely a good one though that must have been while we were drinking whiskey because i don't remember that but uh it's just a good saying and i'll take credit for it sure why not <laughs> uh, awesome so are you with the bighorn then are you guys gonna you, you're gonna just do a general open obviously probably put in for some draws but if you're not lucky then you're just gonna go for a general open jason yeah, we'll uh, we'll drop draws. I mean, the LEH thing is kind of probably like everybody where we shotgun just about everything just to try and get something. It's uh, I'm not that guy. So, you know, some people draw LEH kind of regular. I'm not that person. Um, you know, I, I drew a Rosie, and so everybody will probably listen to that and be like, ah, oh, come on. But, I mean, you look at my track record, and I used to pull goats and grizzlies, and now they got rid of grizzlies. So now I pull the odd goat. Um, so yeah, no, we'll definitely put in for LEH and if not, then we're going to do that open season. We'll, we'll, we'll try. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I know it's there, there's a lot of pressure on some of those hunts. Um, so what time of year we go, I'm not sure whether we, uh, delay it and go later or do we catch opener? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, really it's, 
it's about getting Sarah out and getting her more mountain experience and uh, and just having that experience with her. You know, getting getting that for her. And uh, if we get lucky to, to get the right ram, then then perfect. If not, then uh, then we get a good experience and uh, and get some mountain hunting in. So sounds pretty cool to me. Hey, I got a quick question for you. Side step. Do you guys do have much for archery equipment in the store? Yeah, you bet. Actually, yeah. I was out flinging arrows today. That's what I was saying. We do that uh, 3D shoot. So, um, yeah, we do. I do Bowtex and uh, and all their lines. Uh, I do some crossbow stuff. But definitely uh, definitely have some archery tackle here, you bet. Cool. Thanks. I'll have to chat with you offline. Yeah, of course. I, I think we've uh, we've drugged this one out long enough, eh, Kyle? Uh, <laughs> Great chatting with you, Jason. Where do where do people find you and Westside Stores and Bucktail Adventures? Yeah, so uh, so Westside Stores, you can, you can catch it online. I mean, we have a we have a pretty full retail store there. I mean, it's a massive task. Sarah Sarah works on it daily, trying to get more and more items up. Um, with hunt, fish, camp, there's a lot of fishing tackle on there, and the archery tackle. Some of that will be on there and everything. But uh, WestsideStores.ca, and then BucktailAdventures.ca. So both websites there. Um, there's social media that Sarah does. That's definitely not my forte. I'm just a redneck out there catching fish for people. So uh, she's she's the brains, of the operation. It comes to social media and the websites for sure. Um, that's she's putting her marketing degree and her her fine arts degree to work on that one. So um, yeah, you can, you can catch us there or come in. Great to see people come in. Uh, if you come through Salmon Arm, definitely swing into the shop. It's uh, it's something where, you know, the shop this size, everybody comes, when you walk in, you don't see the store. You kind of come through the till area and, and come around the corner. And and a lot of people have never been here. The first is just a wow out of their face because it's like, holy, there's, you know, I've got a, lots of taxidermy in here. My my life-size goat's in here. That, that Rosie's here. I have three life-size black wolves in here. Um, lots of stuff. My caribou's in here. There's bear hides and antler tree and yeah lots to see lots the kids kids enjoy that they get to see the different animals and i quiz them sometimes on what what that animal is and what that animal is and we have fun with it so yeah definitely uh, definitely would love to see people swing in and, and check us out it's uh it's worth the stop i think for sure awesome sounds good well thank you for your time jason it was a uh, great chatting with you tonight yeah you you bet guys i uh, i appreciate the opportunity and uh yeah it's been good